All right, gang, I am super excited to start things off here today because we have a brand new sponsor. It is Top Lobster. And if you don't know Top Lobster, well, you are missing out because this guy produces some of the, if not the, no, I'm going to say it, the coolest gear. I wanted to give a, a tip of the hat to to our own store, but let's be honest. He's got the coolest Liberty gear out there. I'm wearing some right now. I got this legalized freedom hat for our, our video well, viewers at home. I also got the Scott Horton and the Wars shirt, which is freaking awesome. And there is so much more that you can find over at toplopsa.com. Guys, this is a brand new sponsor. If you are a fan of the show, a supporter of the show, one of the best ways you can help us out is to support our sponsors. So I want you to go head over to toplobsta.com. That is T-O-P-L-O-B-S-T-A.com and just take a browse. You don't need to take my word for it. Just go check out that gear and I guarantee you're going to find something or probably like 10 things that you like. He's got the coolest Liberty gear out there. Uh, you got the Reed Mises Not Mark shirt. We got some Scott Horton gear. We got Tom Woods gear. He is a great guy producing awesome, awesome, awesome Liberty gear. I literally got a compliment on this legalized freedom hat from the Deli Counter guy today. So this is a, a great way to uh, start conversations, to get people interested in these shirts. I actually had a couple people as well out at the bar last week compliment me on the shirt. Uh, they probably don't know who Scott Horton is, but they like the end of the wars message. So you really never know who you're going to connect with. And that's out here in Los Angeles. So please do me a a favor, head over to toplobsa.com, pick out a shirt or two, and you're going to want to use our discount code. That is ROAR, discount code ROAR, R-O-A-R. Head over to toplobsa.com, use discount code ROAR for 10% off your order. We need to empower people with not just the philosophical tool, but the inspiration to break free from the system. Welcome to the flagship Alliance of Liberty podcast, your weekly education, inspiration, and real-world application from the top minds in the Liberty Movement. If you want liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. We need to be better people. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, my guest today is the former mayor of Calamesa, California. He is a current member of the Riverside County Board of Supervisors and current candidate for the governor of California in the upcoming recall election of, Ga- of Gavin Newsom. So pleased to welcome Jeff Hewitt. Jeff, are you ready to roar? You know, Mark, not only am I ready to roar, but I'm ready to soar, but hopefully I won't bore. Oh, I like it. A full, a full, I think you're the first guest to give me a triple rhyme. One or two might have done the double rhyme, but that, that's impressive, Jeff. <laughs> We're going to roar and soar and hopefully not bore. That is that is go. all our goal all around. Uh, it's a problem a lot of libertarians have, actually, is is trying not to bore people with our intellect, our philosophy, all the, all the things we know we are so right about to find ways to communicate people without boring them is actually a big challenge. Maybe we can just kind of start there. Um, how you've been able to communicate these ideas uh, so successfully, not just as a communicator, but you've been able to do so while moving up through local government to this position you're in now. And I, I believe I've heard, I, I don't know the exact figure, but I believe you actually preside over more constituents than any other elected libertarian in the country. Is that about accurate or accurate? <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the people that uh, have a chance to vote for me in my district, that, that makes up about half a million people, about 500,000 people. But the entire wow. county that I make policy for is two and a half million count, uh, two and a half million people. And that's the, the, the 10th largest county in the nation. Impressive. So how did this all start for you, Jeff? Why, why don't we go back to the, the very beginning or as close to the beginning as you want to take us of how you first kind of became aware or interested in the ideas of liberty and how that sort of interest in politics ended up leading you to actually begin to take positions in local government. In 1976, I was in San Diego State and I was going to be voting in my second uh, presidential election. I, I believe I was 23 at the time or whatever. And, um, you know, they had this new party that came out and I, I somehow I found out about it and I ended up voting for that second libertarian uh, candidate, you know, that uh, I didn't vote for either of the other two parties. Actually, John Hospers and Tony Nathan were only on three different state ballots. Otherwise, in 72, I, pro- I probably would have become a libertarian. So I in a lot of circles, you can call me an OG, but I'm not really. I wasn't hanging around with the founders of the party or anything, but I've, I've been a registered libertarian for most all of my life. 
you've been around, so to speak. So when did that interest in the political ideas of libertarianism turn into activism for you? When did you actually decide to uh, take it from maybe the passive, somewhat passive act of just sort of voting for a libertarian and decide to actually become active politically, like in your, in your local community and with your local libertarian party? Well, that's that's kind of a it's kind of a weird question in the sense that uh, I mean, no, it's a good question, but for me. I didn't say, okay, I'm going to go get elected now. I'm going to, you know, I'm tired of uh, voting for all these people that never get close to winning. Um, I, I love them and they got great, great, you know, uh, principles and values, but they just seem to never get more than 5% or something, you know, especially in a three or four way race. And so I was asked to be, I, I was sitting on a planning commission since uh, 2004. So for six years, I, in 2010, a, a Democrat that was actually on the city council um, asked me to run because he was going to step down. And, you know, I thought, okay, it was, it was in the midst of the worst recession in my life. It's 2010 was the worst year. And I asked him, I said, does it, does it pay any money? And uh, he said, yeah, it actually pays $300 a month. Man, that, that really, <laughs> no, you look at, I was that close to begging. I wasn't going to really? go get food stamps that, you know, as a good libertarian, mm -hmm. you just don't do that. And uh, I'm thinking now out here in L.A., that's just a, that's like one parking ticket. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, remember, this was, uh, you know, 10 years ago anyway, or 11 years ago. But anyway, I so I said, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll run. And he helped me get elected. He was my campaign manager and such. So so all of a sudden I'm an elected person. I'm libertarian, you know, so. I think, wow, I'm going to change this city and I'm going to make everything so, so cool. Get rid of government, all that stuff. And you're going to pre push the button on day one. Oh, you, you listen. And then I realized that when I got on the dais, there were four other people and they had their own ideas too, you know, and they weren't libertarians. Right. And so um, I let my, my, uh, you know, animal magnet magnetism and great personality <laughs> Well, okay, I I, I, gr I grinded on them for, you know, about five years, you know, a year into my second term. And uh, I finally convinced them to to choose me as mayor, you know, because we choose amongst ourselves every year. And uh, at that time, coincidentally, uh, a challenge came in. And, uh, you know, actually, that's when, you know, I was able to pull off something really great in that small city. But going back to 2014, there was a special election that came up. Uh, that was the Senate District 23, State Senate District 23. And uh, Bill Emerson was stepping down. He'd had it with the Democrats. He was in the minority party. He was a Republican. And so my wife said, Jeff, why don't you run for that? That's like a special little election. Shouldn't cost that much. You know, she knew I wanted to get into higher office. So I did. And I raised $18,000, which I thought was a lot of money. But the guy that beat me had over $400,000 from the state Republican machine. And, uh, you know, out of five people, I came in fourth running as a libertarian in a partisan race. And uh, I was very disappointed with my 6.8%, you know, so, um, so, but that's when, when I ran for that, I found out that there was an active state party, Mark. And, and that's when I got, that's when I got to know and love all the people that are really active in the libertarian party. That's like executive committee members and, and then a year or two later, I got elected to the Libertarian National Committee. And now I'm I'm as libertarian as you get in the form of like being involved with all these different libertarian people. And I love it. You know, it keeps me sane every time I think I'm slipping into the being becoming a statist or one of the duopolies. The you know, <laughs> they, they grab me and pull me away from that that big tractor beam, you know. How do you find that balance of holding the ideas of liberty dear, of, of having this philosophy, but having to navigate a state government where, like you said, I mean, probably the vast majority, if not all of the people you have to work with are not going to hold those views, are going to be hold views that are very, very different than that. How do you sort of face that challenge of, of sort of utilizing your philosophy in, in sort of, you know, guiding your governing decisions while trying to make coalitions with people that have an entirely different philosophy? Well, okay. So really here's something that most people aren't going to believe, but th this really is the truth. Um, I think most people are libertarian. I mean, when you talk to them, it's real simple. I mean, I can go up to my colleagues. I can go up to people that work at the county. I can go up to anybody and say, hey, 
do you believe that you should be able to do anything you want if you're, you know, age of consent and uh, that if it doesn't hurt somebody, then you should be able to do anything. And overwhelmingly, 80 or 90 percent of the people, they say, yeah, I go, you're a libertarian, you know, but there's a big stretch to get them away. Because remember, we've been weaned on this 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 binary power structure that says, um, orange man bad or Hillary Clinton evil or, you know, goes back and forth. And they, they, they have this idolatry that, that worships these two brands. And, you know, they have an elephant and a donkey and it's cool and they get together and they do a big hoopla. But at the end of the day, both those parties, unfortunately, kind of get into the business of making, uh, making the other one look worse than they do. And it's all about the power of uh, having that say so over people's lives. And even though the vast majority agree with us and, 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 and say that they don't want to run other people's lives, when given power, it's amazing how intoxicating that can be, Mark. And, and that's, that's the part that, you know, I'm always fighting. I'm always fighting that because, you know, I get to meet really important, famous people. I'm not important. I'm not famous, but for some reason they think I am. And so I'm, you know, going, oh, wow, this guy's not as bad as I thought he was, or no, he's a bigger jerk or this or that, you know, and, and you start, you come away from that going, yeah, I'm really special. I got to do, I got to do what it takes to keep in this position. And that's when you start making decisions that, you know, are probably not the best for your constituents. And that's, I think that's what happens to a lot of elected people. And I've surrounded myself with a whole bunch of uh, libertarian minded people that uh, keep me, keep my feet on the ground. Even if sometimes they put my boots in concrete and throw me over in the river, just to remind me what I'm about. When you, when you mentioned like working for your constituents there, I'm curious if there's ever a conflict for you on that front, um, wherein maybe the best thing for your constituents might be to vote a certain way, but does that ever conflict with maybe libertarian principles that might say, well, I don't think the government should really be involved in this thing, but maybe for my constituents, it is the best thing to do because this is just kind of the situation we're in as far as the how the government is structured. Do you ever kind of face those sort of internal conflicts? Yeah, yeah. There's look if if I could just vote pure libertarian on everything. Um, well, first of all, what I, I would be, I'd have a you know an A plus rating with most all, but not with all libertarians because let's face it. Oh, when two impossible. libertarians are in a room, there's only one thing they agree on, that there's only one libertarian in the room. So, I mean, you're not going to make it. <laughs> but but, but I, I want to be effective. So I have to build up that trust and respect. And there are times where there are things that, you know, I said, yes, this really isn't, you know, this probably isn't all that good a thing, but it's not that bad. And, and you know, I'm not going to win it anyway. So by going along a little bit and talking about it, let them, let them know. I always let people know how I feel, you know. And uh, then, then at a time when I might need that moderate vote to get something really good libertarian wise through, then it comes, uh, it comes back uh, to really to pay off. But let me tell you how, like when I started my fire department back as the mayor of Calamesa, you know, I had to get my, the other four members of the, uh, and I think there were two Democrats and two Republicans or whatever, but I, I had to get them on board with me first. And you don't make this about libertarian things. You make it about, you go, hey, look, mm. you know, this big union and this big, huge statewide fire department are trying to force us to do something that we don't need. And it's going to make us raise our taxes to the degree of, you know, we only had a $6 million annual budget and they were going to make us add $750,000 for something a year that we didn't even need. And, and they, you know, the, the big monopoly, you know, Cal Fire and, uh, and their professional firefighters union, they said, well, no, you have to do that because we tell you you have to do it. And if you can't, if you don't have the money, then you go raise taxes like everybody else does. And that's when that libertarian core goes, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I mean, the, the people in Calamasa, there's a lot of uh, retired people that were getting by off social security and stuff. And that's just pure evil if I do that, right? I mean, I just couldn't do that. So I, I really talked with my fellow council members. I just said, hey, guys, you know, we can do this. We can look at other things. Maybe we can form our own fire department. And then the city manager, great city manager, she'd worked in other cities. She said, Jeff, you don't understand. It's impossible. It's impossible to start, to start a fire department. You just, you can't do it. It's one of the most regulated. There's just so many forces against it. 
Once I convinced her that we were going to try it and they could actually do it and that it was wrong to raise taxes, we were off to the races. And uh, it took every one of us on the team. Uh, every, every, every link had to be super strong. And uh, in about 18 months, we pulled off a real miracle. But that, that one thing that we did accomplished a lot. It, it was able to give our new fire department, you know, competitive, sustainable, defined contribution or 401k pensions, which we stood out from all the other cities in the, you know, 500 cities in California. And of course, that's what uh, Stephen Greenhut's article made it go national and then was put into reason and all that. And that's how libertarians get things done. You know, so all of a sudden, I'm not this guy that says taxes, taxation is theft, or you're just a stupid statist. This is the guy that does work for his constituents. And this is what I tell, you know, I say, look, I'll do anything for my constituents. When they put their trust in me, I will do the best I can. And because of my libertarian values, I'm always fighting for less government, more efficiency, services that you're going to ask for, but a bigger bang for the buck. But don't step on our civil liberties, too. Oh, my gosh. He's, you know, and, and so libertarians are great about defending the Constitution and stuff like that. So we can make a lot of allies, bring a lot of people in. A lot of these conservatives, they love that stuff. A lot of the uh, liberals really love the way we stand on some of the civil liberties that are getting trampled all over. And so it starts with just something like that. Would you say that you you let your libertarian principles kind of guide your actions, but then your approach to it is where you just kind of let Jeff Hewitt do the work, not necessarily the libertarian, but Jeff Hewitt, the human, you know, someone who's connecting with your constituents, who knows the best things for them and is able you're able to kind of communicate to the people you have to uh, sort of via the humanity aspect of it, via the constituency aspect of it. Whereas, you know, yeah, sure, maybe you and even they know that you're guided by libertarian principles, but that's not how you're pushing it through. Yeah, look, it, um, it, it becomes a lot more palpable. It becomes a lot more uh, savory. If you, if you come in there and you say, hey, I got these ideas, um, let me run them by you. I want to I see what you think. And then you hand them human action and you, you come back in three years and see how they've, they've done? Or is that well, how, how it <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, it is. Governing, governing is a process. Governing is uh, it's actually probably the most important thing in governing is developing relationships. You know, we just had a, uh, our, our paper, our local county paper had an editorial today on how our state treasurer, Fiona Ma, who's a moderate Democrat, came out against the way that the high-speed rail is going here in California. It's, it's, it's a boondoggle by, you know, but, and, and, and the Biden administration just went ahead and replaced that nearly $1 billion that was going to be federal money to put into something that's never going to be built. I mean, a total waste of taxpayers' money. But Fiona Ma, Fiona Ma, a Democrat, came out and said, look at the way that Florida is doing their high-speed rail. They're letting private companies do it. They're letting the private sector build that based upon what works. I mean, here's a Democrat saying that. So do when I'm going to work with Fiona Ma, do I say, I'm not going to work with her because she's a Democrat? No, she's coming up with good ideas that libertarians embrace. And so, first of all, you've got to put everything else aside and don't look what somebody's done in the past on some other issue that you don't like. When you're working on something and you have a chance to make life better for everyone, then become their ally. And, and that's what you know, um, that's what relationships mean. I, I can call up Fiona Ma and talk to her right now. And we, we have a good relationship. We worked on different, you know, development deals here down in my district and stuff. She wants to see uh, certain areas that have been blighted and stuff come through. And, and, and that's the way you make, I, again, politics is your chance to sit in a seat and then see what you can do. But, but the work really starts once you're in office. As hard as it is to get elected, you haven't done anything. You haven't done one thing for your constituents by winning an office. It's what you can do when you get that chance. And uh, it, it, it's hard, but be yourself. I, I don't ever ask a libertarian, hey, are you libertarian enough? I don't ever question their values. If they're hanging around with this party and stuff, they're probably libertarian. And let's give them a chance, you know. And I think this party 
has a problem with eating, eating its own young. Absolutely. I think a lot of people can uh, get involved for one reason or another. And, and before they know it, they're being hit with, wait, you believe this, you believe that. And maybe they haven't fully grasped the concepts yet, but they've been interested enough. And I think when someone's interested, you got to hold their hand a little bit, become their friend and then teach them some things along the way. But you don't want to just slam them with with these purity tests because then they're just going to say, well, what, what the hell am I even doing here? Right. You know, look, um, Rand Paul is very, very uh, controversial to libertarians because at, at times he looked like he was close to Trump. You know, um, he's the son of arguably one of the most influential libertarians, um, but he, he's a Republican. And, uh, you know, for right now, though, the way he's coming out and, and really saying, hey, to Fauci, look, um, guys, we can't get, let you get away with this, with giving money to the Wuhan lab. And it looks like it may have, you know, he's he's the point guy on that. And if, if it comes out that that's true, you know, he's going to get a lot of good time in, in, in the light. Thomas Massey, who's a Republican. My gosh, when he stood up against Nancy Pelosi and said, wait a minute, on the CARES Act, you're going to vote on the largest bill ever in the history of our country? And you want to do a voice vote? No, let's, let's take a roll call. If you think it's so great, put your name on it. And he was, it showed you the two parties, how bad they are, how both parties came out and called them all kinds of names. And they sent 40 people over there to outvote him so that nobody was on record. But people like Massey and stuff, even though he's a Republican, we should really work with people like that. You know, there are other liberty groups outside the Libertarian Party that share 90% of our views. And we need to act as one because there's less than 1% Libertarians in the United States registered. Um, unless they all live in the same county somewhere or something, we're not going to win any elections, just getting libertarians to vote for us. So we, we've got to sell our ideas to to the greater population at large. Yeah, this has been a, the, the strategy aspect has been a, a subject of a few debates I've hosted here on Lions of Liberty. Uh, some of them featured Dave Smith and Tho Bishop. I had another one with Dave Smith and Eric Brakey, uh, just kind of discussing the ways and libertarians can strategically work through either the Libertarian Party or the Republican Party or whatever. I mean, uh, Democratic Party, if that works too, and how they can kind of best work these strategies. And would you say that it, it might behoove the Libertarian Party, just based on some things you mentioned there, to be somewhat strategic in where they're they're focusing certain races, especially when it comes to maybe national races. Uh, for example, it might not make sense to put resources into running a libertarian candidate against Thomas Massey or against Rand Paul, whereas it may make a lot more sense to do so in, in a place where there's not really any, any kind of libertarian option. What, what's your take on that? Or, would, or whereas some other libertarians would say, no, we should have libertarian candidates everywhere for every position and just you know spread them out as far as we can, cast the net far and wide. So I look at I've got a very, very distinct opinion on this. Um, you know, I'm big, big, big on getting libertarians, people that identify as libertarians and they join the party and everything. They're, they, hey, I'm a libertarian. I love this stuff. I read all these books or whatever. They're a libertarian. Right. And they say, I want to run for office. Well, then we we should come down and say, OK, let's see where we can get you in. Let's see, you know, have, have you joined, have you, uh, have you joined your Rotary Club? Have you gone out and, and tried to get appointed to, a, to something on, on the city council? Be appointed to a commission or something. Have you done all this? You know, and get them elected to these electable local nonpartisan offices. Now, there's a few states, I think like Louisiana and a couple others, where there is no such thing as a nonpartisan office. It's a lot tougher there, but it's still easier to get elected when you can go around and press flesh with everybody that's going to vote for you, you know, so on some of these smaller offices. And that's where these are electable. I believe that we won 52% of the offices that we ran for in this last runaround because we chose mostly, you know, electable local offices. And so now we're getting people in there that, first of all, Look, you could be the most charismatic candidate in the world. And when you get in office, you're horrible. You don't have any skills whatsoever about, you know, remember, because I always say this, your ability to govern is directly proportional to your ability to persuade your colleagues. Now, that's remember, that's not hitting them over the head, you know, with calling them names. It means that building up their trust and their respect. And so we get all these dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of people on city councils, on school boards, on, on water districts, special districts, uh, 
And they find out, you'll find the ones that really have the skills and they will go ahead and move on. And pretty soon you've got not one or two, but half a dozen or a dozen that are county supervisors or county, com county commissioners. Um, those now, but counties are different all over. For instance, uh, Brian Defferding, who's an elected libertarian up in Wisconsin, he, I think it's Winnipego, I forget the county, but it's like 140,000 people, but there's 36 county commissioners. So the power is concentrated in a large body. However, I'm one of five, you know, a large county supervisor in, in California is a ridiculously influential job. I mean, it's... It, I if I went ahead and ran for state legislature, which many county supervisors have from big counties, it's a mistake. It's it's a step down. I have a lot more influence on people's lives in this position that I'm in now. So, but we get that and we start building that up, and pretty soon you're going to see some some you know speakers of lower house legislators because there's a lot of state legislators in there and stuff. But they've all come through. They've all learned the art of governing. You know, and, and if you're going to dismantle something and make it smaller and more efficient, you have to understand how it works. And you've still got to convince people that stuff's, you know, all of a sudden the roads don't get built and everybody gets raped and everybody's a heroin addict. No, 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 no. We, yeah, we don't want that. No, we libertarians know what will really happen if we do it in a way that is the right way. And, and so this is where, but I still think we should run a very vigorous presidential campaign because we get libertarian ideas out probably more than than any other time. And that's why, you know, I would say concentrate on all these lower elected offices and then run our uh, our president. But when people run as paper candidates for Congress or this or that with no chance, I, you know, unless they want to get some if very, very seldom do they get a chance to debate even because you know, the, the bigger parties aren't going to debate us. So I think that's kind of a waste of time. I think that it's really important that people take that. And I see people doing that now. And I can see ones that are already making a difference. Um, and, and that's where this party really starts growing. All right, guys, I got to take a quick break to let you know about another podcast, another podcast that I host along with my friend Remzo W. Martinez, another great libertarian. And if you like supporting the Lions of Liberty, if you like supporting libertarians in general, you got to check out the Second Print Comics podcast. This is a weekly podcast that Remzo and I absolutely pour our hearts into. Uh, we break down the stories, characters, comic book events that shaped our fanhood. And whether or not you are a comic book fan, I am pretty sure but if you like our style, if you like the cut of our jib, you're going to enjoy this program because it really is for everybody. It's for longtime fans, for lapsed fans, for new fans. If you've just seen some of the MCU movies or some of the Disney Plus shows and you want to learn more about the comic book origins of a lot of these stories and characters or just learn about things you might not have ever thought you were going to learn about because we dive into all sorts of stories from the mainstream to the very obscure. Uh, again, if you are a comic book fan, you're definitely going to love this. And if you're not, you just might love it as well. Either way, we would really appreciate you taking a time out to check out the Second Print Comics podcast. You can find us at secondprintcomics.com or find us on your favorite podcatcher. Just search Second Print Comics Podcast. When speaking about, about a lot of those sort of lower level, I don't maybe kind of entry level government positions, you might say, uh, it seems like, and it's something you mentioned earlier with a lot of your early success, is that you were running as Jeff Hewitt. You would These are nonpartisan positions that don't have that libertarian next to them. And then the experience you had where you, you came in fourth on that the, in the election where you're running as a libertarian, is that just go back to the fact that people are so ingrained into this party system that they might love Jeff Hewitt. But Jeff Hewitt, libertarian. Oh, well, no, we're trained to, to want to vote for a Democrat Republican. So, so we can't do that. It's only when that part is kind of hidden or out of view and not really up front, you're still saying the same things, but you're, you're not under that label that people are more open to voting for just whoever they seem to think is the best. So this is why I chose in 2018 to run for Riverside County Supervisor 5th District, because mm -hmm. everything kind of aligned perfectly. Number one, it was a nonpartisan position. So when people went onto the ballot, they weren't going to see a D, R, or an L. You know, it was also, um, they, it had some unusual things. For instance, there's no individual limit to donations. I mean, Mark, you could have given me $1 billion 
for my campaign. Yeah, I was going to. That check didn't, cut, you know, that check I was didn't waiting, come through I for think, some reason. I think you'd promised me, but I don't it, know I'm what still happened waiting. There. <laughs> I've checked the mailbox every day. And I, I think something happened with the post office, you know, you know government like, stuff. Yeah. Like like Lassie waiting for Timmy to come home. You just never came. <laughs> next in. time, next time we'll get it through. <laughs> but anyway, but so it was, you know, so I did have a relationship with a, a, a large uh, libertarian donor, which enabled to get me that seed money to get started. And, um, and, but I was a mayor in one of the six cities in the uh, district. So I had some legitimacy with that title and stuff. And, and again, I'd done the fire department. So for fundraising and everything else, I had a little bit of no- notoriety, which you need to, but, you know, we did everything right. And we still, it took damn near a miracle between, uh, you know, Boomer and the team, everybody that worked on that uh campaign i think you even had some yow people out there uh knocking on doors for you you had a whole coalition we had a, we had a, we had some amazing door knockers oh my god they, they that was probably the single most important element you know that uh but but at the end of the day um you know to me i would i it was nonpartisan, but people still knew i didn't back around when they'd ask me you know what is your i said i'm a libertarian i'm a very proud libertarian but this is not a partisan office. And I tell them about the things I was going to do, the way I was going to work on getting pensions, you know, the pension crisis fixed and stuff like that. When I won, it was front page LA Times that said, can libertarians govern and stuff, you know, and it was a big deal. I mean, that was, uh, and I made sure that I had our uh, national chair come out and uh, swear me in, you know, in January when I got sworn in, Nick Sarwak came out and uh, I was very proud. I was, I was, I still am very proud of my libertarianism, but, um, but see running for governor now in this special election in this recall, you know, I remember uh, I went out and spoke to a bunch of uh, a Republican women's club and there was a gentleman in the back and he goes, well, you're libertarian. Libertarians are for defunding the police and they're for all this and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, first of all, don't tell me what I'm about. I said, I'm running for governor as Jeff Hewitt with libertarian values. I'm very proud to be a libertarian, but you're not voting for the entire libertarian party or anything. You're going to vote for somebody that's going to unite this state, and not divide it. You know, and libertarians may be the only ones that have that, that opportunity right now. I mean, I think Judge Grace says it great. He says, we're the only mainstream party left in the United States. I want to dig in a little more into this. Uh, we'll, of course, address your actual campaign for governor th- th- here, but I want to address a little of the background for people that aren't as familiar with the goings-on in California, a little more of the background of how this recall election came about, because this this started, I mean, I think the lockdowns in the last year have really pushed it over the edge, but this actually was a movement that started even prior to that. So what is the origin of, uh, or you can even get into a little bit of Gavin Newsom's background for people that aren't familiar with him. He's basically been you know, handed, handed with a silver spoon in these positions his whole life. But uh, you can kind of get into what the origins of this recall is, where this sort of anger and upsetness comes from with Gavin Newsom. So California, out of the 50 states, was probably the most restrictive in lockdowns. In fact, they've done all kinds of analyses and stuff. And I don't think it's probably I think it's pretty definitive. No, California is from the earliest time they've been they've had the most restrictive lockdowns, more so than New York, New Jersey, even all the so, you know, people when they're locked down a certain, you know, I think most people got handled in two weeks, you know, when they said flatten the curve and all that. But there was, so there's a certain amount of people that were just pissed off about that. But then it made it even worse back last year, late, I think it was in the fall or whatever, you know, he's telling people to remain at home, you know, shelter in place. He's got everybody's kids at home doing distance learning, their kids are at home. They're not at school. The parents can't go to work, even if they're, quote, an essential business, something like that. And, uh, and he gets caught at the most Tony restaurant right outside of San Francisco at the French. I call it the dirty laundry, but it's the French laundry. <laughs> and I mean, his wine bill, his wine bill for there were 12 people there, I believe, was $45,000. Oh, my God. And, and no, That's no. My... And so... But I mean, it's the it's my dining bill for a decade. Oh, yeah. So so but he, he probably not. Even. He was there and they were sitting close together. Nobody had masks on. You know, he was going, no, that's only for you. You know, the steerage down in the base of the Titanic. I don't have to do that because I'm up on the top deck. And to make it worse. In his state of the state, he actually said that his kids have, you know, Zoom trauma. No, they don't. 
His kids went to private exclusive in-person schooling while he was forcing everybody else to stay at home. Wait, so his kids have been in actual in-person school this entire time? Yes. I wasn't yeah, aware no, of that. No, no, no. That, that, wow. that, that, that hypocrisy is even greater than him slipping up. So think about this. So the, the people that were you know, uh, celebrating the birthday of one of his best friends as super lobbyists were the two heads of the American Medical Association, the California. No, it, it was a, uh, American. It, it, it was the, the doctor's group union in, in, in California. And so you see how he's dealt with everything. He treats every government union employee, whether it be nurses, prison guards, teachers, firefighters, doctors, anybody that's in a government employee union, See, they're the ones that butter his bread. They're the ones that he gets all the money for to get reelected in his campaign war chest. And so the reason why, and the reason why I'm telling you this is, is that gets back to the reason I finally decided I had to throw my hat into this race. Because I'll tell you what, I love being county supervisor. We've accomplished some great things already in these first few years, but there's so many more things I can accomplish here. And... Um, when I found out, you know, when the, when the vaccines first came out, whether you like vaccines or not, we're not we don't have to have that problem, right? I mean, that, that's a whole that's other a, three hours. That's a three hour debate. debate and I'll have fun yeah. arguing either side of that. That's, but, but, you know, there, there are all these elderly people because mostly, you know, most of the people who are dying were over 65. And so they all wanted these vaccines and there was such a shortage early on. So for the first three months, you know, we're getting these daily updates from our public health and everything. So I asked my public health director, I said, hey, just out of curiosity, I just want to make sure we're getting our fair share of vaccines, you know, Riverside County. So I had, I had her check it out. And she comes back and she goes, well, okay, uh, we're getting 80% less in San Bernardino County and Riverside County is getting 80% less than like San Diego and Santa Clara and all these other coastal Curious. counties. And I said, what? I, I thought we were getting, and that's per capita, not because, of, you know, it's per capita. Right, I said, right. wait, 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 you've got to find out from the, the State Department of Health. What criteria are they using? So they come back with some lame, well, those counties have more healthcare workers. I was going to say more Republicans. Well, no, no, no. More likely. Well, no, they, they had, well, so the reality of it is Riverside County has me who since May has been calling for my county to go against all of his orders overtly, mm -hmm. couldn't even get a second, even out of, I have two Republicans that you would think, but you know, and, and then uh, Sheriff Chad Bianco, you know, uh, a, a cannabis drug warrior. And he and I go at it in my office all the time. It's kind of fun, but the guy really was good for civil liberties on the lockdowns. And he made a five minute, you know, viral video on YouTube, yeah. over 5 million people saw it and stuff. And so, you know, he hated myself and Chad and then San Bernardino County sued him in court to try to get more say over how they were going to do the shutdown. So, so he was being, he was, he was giving the counties he liked more. So I can make the case that these elderly that weren't getting theirs, you know, there were people that probably died because of that. Because they didn't get those vaccines for, for them, the elderly people. And uh, so I said, no, this guy's got to go. This is criminal. The guy should be in jail. He should be in jail. So this became personal, both for like him and you, maybe. Maybe he was actually directly reacting to you. And now you are directly reacting to what you see as like a, a personal attack on your constituents. Well, and, you know, he in January, when I got together with another uh, supervisor from Sacramento County named Sue Frost, who's he's a Republican, but boy, she leans really libertarian. And uh, the two of us put on a conference, uh, you know, uh, up, up there right under his nose, 30 miles east of Sacramento, where we had, you know, all these elected people. We did it outside in a covered equestrian center. You know, everybody had, you know, we, we tried to fit all the deals. So, and, and they called us, the Sacramento Bee called us dim Limited COVID deniers. I've, I've never had such an honor in, in my life to be called by the Sacramento Bee, a dim-witted. Put that one on your COVID. resume. Oh my gosh. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, you know, put that in a plaque and put it up on the wall. But, 
But but we had an effect because that was January 8th through 10th. You know, this is two days after the Capitol had their attack, you know, on January 6th or whatever, when everybody kind of rushed the Capitol. Congressman Tom McClintock, he flew out a day later and still was our welcoming speaker there. And uh, we had Dr. Bhattacharya of Stanford epidemiologist that has come out against all the lockdowns. You know, one of the, he was a co-author of the Great Barrington Declaration. This guy's got a PhD in, in economics too. The guy's brilliant. We had Dr. Ladapo from UCLA and Dr. Fareed from, from Harvard educated. You know, these are guys. And so we had economists there. We had all this stuff. And that's the kind of thing that Newsom can't handle. So on January 11th, the day after we quit our a conference, he lifted the stay-at-home orders for the 13 counties around Sacramento. And that was because of what we did. You know, so, no, I, I, I know how to get things done. You know, part of it is my libertarian values will not let me sway. Everybody knows which direction I'm going in. And the fact that I'm an old pool digger that has dug thousands and thousands of big holes in people's backyards, you know, you're going to have to stamp me out or I'm going to get done with how to get your done. hands dirty. Oh, oh quite literally me. I, I still have a problem with them being clean. I'm starting to lose all my callus. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> it feels Mark, weird. I think I'm turning into like a radio host. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. My hands are looking pretty clean. I'm trying too, to grow so. my hair again, like yours, but it's just, it's not working. I've been putting all kinds You'll of get there. You'll get there. <laughs> Can you dive a little more into how this actually works, how the recall election works? Uh, I remember the last time I didn't quite live in California yet, but I remember the last time we did this, we got uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as governor, kind of got mixed reviews on that one from maybe from the libertarian aspect, but we did get entertainment. So, but how does this actually, this process work? Uh, is, is there first the recall, then another election? Does it all happen at once? I, I, cause I know there's something like, I think a bunch of people that have, that have declared for governor and probably many more that will coming forward, including, you know, click Caitlyn Jenner and a number of other, a uh, number of other sem- quasi celebrities out here. So how does this process actually work? Well, so, um, it, this is just a replay of 2003. Um, you know, and, and this is, these, these are the only two, um, recalls. Cause remember every governor gets attempts at recall every year. I mean, cause we have that ability in California, but none of them ever get close to getting the signatures. So this is only the second one that's gotten signatures here in California. In 2003, we had, I think, 140 candidates on the ballot. So what happens is it's a very unique, and for people that don't understand it, there is one ballot. And we don't know whether it's going to be in August or sometime in November. It depends on what games they play up. Because they're trying to challenge. Ironically enough, he's trying to challenge signature no, verifications and that sort no, of that, thing. That, 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 oh, that, that's, that's over now? Okay. No, there were like one or two people that said, no, I didn't mean to. No. And we were a couple hundred thousand extra that we had. So that wasn't close, but, but so you'll, you'll have one, one question that'll say, do you believe the governor, governor Newsom should be recalled? And there'll be a yes or no. But there's a second question that everybody should fill out and all, but about maybe five or 10% of the Democrats that vote, keep him in, will fill this out anyway. Even most of the Democrats, because they'll say, if he is recalled, who do you want to fill his place? In other words, for, for people that want him recalled, they'll put down their favorite guy or gal. And um, for those Democrats that are hedging their bet going, well, who's the lesser of 139 other evils or whatever, you know? Right. So as it turned out back in 2003, out of those 135 or whatever candidates, there were only three, only three, 8%. Uh, Cruz Bustamante, who was the lieutenant governor at the time, he was kicked out of the, the, the Democratic Party for dare even running against Gray Davis. And uh, he got 30%. And then our very own Tom McClintock, who I, we had come out and speak, got 12%. And of course, that notoriety got him, a, a, you know, he had been in the state legislature. He became a congressman right after that. I actually, I remember back then, um, I actually, I think I voted for Tom McClintock, actually. Even though he was a Republican stuff, he was so fiscally good, everything like that. But but everybody else, all the other hundred and something, they, they added up to three percent. Nobody, I don't maybe Harry Carey, the porn star, <laughs> got one percent. I don't know. So this time you're probably gonna have four or five people that have a chance for double digits. You know, it's gonna be say whether we have a hundred or two hundred, it, it won't matter for most people. We've already got 
right now we've got uh, the there's no you know sub- substantive Democrat because the Democrat Democrats say we're not going to weaken it, but they've got the former uh, mayor of, of of San Diego, Kevin Faulkner. We've got uh, 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 Cox. What's his name? John Cox, who's who's basically uh, he ran against Newsom in 2018 and got the least of any governor losing governor in, 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 in the top two ever with 38%. And then you've got uh, Caitlyn Jenner, who is probably the most famous trans person. It's kind of interesting because as a boy, she was my idol as Bruce Jenner. You know, she was on Weedy. She won the Olympics and decathlon and stuff. So that's kind of like a weird small world story maybe or something but then you've got doug doug osi a former uh sacramento area um, congressman hasn't been in office since 2005 and there'll be quite a few more and and myself and i hope to be one of those names that is large enough with enough money raised and stuff where um they will say oh well this guy's not because i don't think a republican can win in california right now Uh, trump's name is so toxic here um, it's the worst thing you can be, will be I mean, in life, <laughs> basically in California. In California, yeah, it works real good in sure. in uh, Idaho, you know, or or Wyoming. Here, you may as well have a Nazi uh, flag, uh, flag on your shirt if, if you're if you're wearing if you're wearing a MAGA well, hat yeah, or a Republican yeah. anything. It, it's a, it literally the same thing to to many of the people who live here. So I'd ask you if you're a Democrat going in there, and you're going to vote not to remove Gavin Newsom, but you still want to put somebody down. If you got all these Republicans and then this libertarian who has name recognition, too, I think a lot of people are going to go because they're going to see, you know, and my campaign's all about unifying and healing California. It's about healing it. You know, I mean, these two these two parties are just duking it out and they're not doing anybody any good. And, uh, you know, we do have a one party state. We got 25 percent of the legislatures, both the upper and lower house that are Republican. And a lot of those are good friends of mine and stuff, too. But they don't have any say. But you get Switzerland, you know, you get this third party in as governor, and you'll get a good mix of ideas. But with my bully pulpit, we can we can pick and choose the best of both both sides. And um, you know, so so that's you know that's what I'm pushing. Um, probably the biggest advantage I have is that of all the candidates that have announced so far, I believe I'm the only one of all the major candidates. I believe I'm the only one that's oh, fluent okay. in Spanish too. That helps. So 48% of, of all of the people that live in California speak Spanish as their primary language. So that could end up being a, a huge uh, benefit. Often when I, when I speak to you know candidates running for libertarian office, I, I'll say, you know, I won't really say it like this, but sometimes we all kind of know they're running for a position that they have no chance of winning. So I'll say, you know, let's just put our put our our, our dream caps here and pretend if you what would happen if you became you know X Y Z position where we all kind of know this is just a hypothetical. But in your case, the way you lay it out here and the the way this election is set up. It actually sounds like you have somewhat of an actual chance to become governor because because um you know the you don't need fifty one percent of a vote you don't even need you you can win this with you know seventeen percent if 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 the rest of the votes are spread out yeah it yeah you could um, I think you know it's my gut feeling that thirty two to thirty five percent is going to win it now anything above seventeen percent is more and more of a mandate yeah. You see what I'm saying? Uh, obviously, you know, now let's put that fantasy cap on and let's say I, I get I do everything right and I get 55 percent. That would be the greatest mandate anybody's ever had. That would be massive. In other words, now and, that, and when you're trying to heal this 40 million people and such, they're giving you carte blanche to do things that you think are going to actually make it better. You know, the, look, at we've all got our ideas. And again, You've got to respect the other people that are on a on a body with you on on a governmental body because a lot of them are just just as passionate as you passionate as you are, but their life experiences, their histories dictate how they think. So when you go in there, there's there's a couple of different ways you can be such a pain and such a squeaky wheel and bring all your people out and you know you have your activists show up at, at meetings and stuff. That works sometimes. But that should be the last resort, because if you can find that one Achilles heel 
And I say that in a good way. When you find that one thing that, that you agree on with them and you just say, hey, let's put all this other stuff that we totally disagree with. Just put that over the side. We're not talking about that. Let's you and I go out and let's be heroes together. Let's get this done. You know, and, and there's opportunities all the time to do that. You know, but you, know, you can like somebody. I, look at some of the most progressive people in politics. I've got a lot of respect for. I don't agree with their politics or their ideology, but at least they truly believe it. And they try to make the point. They don't do it because they're part of the party machine or this or that. You know, those are the kind of people that I can deal with because we, when we have that vigorous debate, usually you'll make some headway with them. And again, you don't try to lop off the biggest thing at first or whatever. You try to find that little bit of overlap. It was actually Ralph Nader of all the people. I met him three days before I met Gary Johnson uh, at, in 2014 at totally different events. And I'm all jazz, you know, because here's two former third party presidential candidates. And at the time, I actually liked Ralph Nader better. <laughs> I become friends with Gary. Gary's a great guy, but but Gary was a little bit you know, a little arrogant. Gary. And I saw him down at a, you know, and and he, you know, but Ralph Nader said, Jeff, you're a libertarian. I'm a I'm a green. We're, we're at the opposite ends of the spectrum. But if we both work on crony capitalism, then we can get stuff done. I said, Ralph, you demand. I mean, this, the guy was genuine and, and, you know, people have different beliefs. That's fine. But, but the art of governing is still the art of having your ideas prevail. And we do look at, we have the best set of ideals. I mean, let's face it. If you argue it out to the end, everybody's a libertarian morally. We're the moral party. And so why don't we have more evangelicals with us? You know, look, I'm, I'm not a religious guy, but right now there's a lot of evangelicals in this state that follow me that, that, that I'm their champion because I went to bat for them to get last Easter Sunday, the one during the pandemic, so that they can have drive up services. I had to fight just for drive up services, <laughs> let alone in the actual drive up. But that was a, but, but that was a big, big deal. That was a big deal to them. So, you know, we, we don't go look at just because they might be pro-life or this or that, or they want to, you know, you, you take all these groups that morally want to be hooked up with us, but it, but it's a process. It's, it's a transition. I mean, look at how long the Libertarian Party and all the great activists have worked to get cannabis legal. Look at how many of them have worked to get gay rights and same-sex marriage. You know, this party and this movement has accomplished quite a bit. It's just that electorally, we, we haven't been all that successful, you know. And that's why I've kind of looked at, you know, and, and taken it kind of my own path a little bit and said, gosh darn it. Uh, you like Al Franken, gosh darn it, I'm smart enough, gosh, I'm good looking it. enough, and we can <laughs> do it. No, just... <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, before we wrap up here, I got to let you know about one of our great sponsors, our longtime sponsors at Lauren Zotti, Italy. If you are a fan of coffee, if you like a nice fresh cup of joe to wake up in the morning as I do, you're going to want to check out our friends at Lauren Zotti, Italy. They deliver fine premium Italian coffees right to your door in these nice little tins that look so wonderful sitting on your counter there. And if that weren't all enough, these guys are great libertarians. They are Patreon supporters of this show. They are absolutely worthy of your support. If that all wasn't enough, these guys do more than just sell coffee. They also help other entrepreneurs set up their own coffee businesses, help them acquire equipment, acquire financing, everything they need to start their own coffee business, start their own coffee shops. So you definitely want to check them out for that reason, if that's something that's been on your mind. Either way, just fantastic people at Lorenzotti, Italy. Amazing people, fantastic people. You'll want to support them if you're fans of the show. Heck, even if you're not, if you're listening to this by accident, Check them out anyway. They have great coffee. Lauren Zotti, Italy. You can find them at laurenzotti.coffee. That's L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-T-T-I dot coffee. And you do not want to forget your Lions of Liberty listener discount. Just use discount code ROAR for 10% off your order. Jeff, I'm curious what your approach is to this campaign then. Is it, are you, I mean, are you, lar are you more pitching 
like how much of your your campaign has to go to pitching yes we should recall gavin newsom or do you see that more as a given in many ways and how much of it it is the positive presentation of your own campaign and pitch for yourself as a replacement as a better alternative than the whole litany of republicans that wearing that scarlet letter are all going to be running against him how how has your approach been to that because ultimately to become the governor you are going to have to win over not just people who are anti-newsom now but you're going to have to win over people that even want gavin newsom in there now but might go with you as the alternative if, if in fact he is not reelected. Mark, this is a totally, totally positive, uh, you know, campaign. In fact, on a stump speech, I start out with, with, with almost any group. I start out with, God, wouldn't it be great to have barbecues with your neighbors again, even if your neighbors are a member of a different club, you know, and um, it's, that's where we need to be. You know, you got more in common than just that fence between your two houses. Your kids used to be friends, you know, all this different stuff. Let's go back to that. We can do that. And, you know, and we do it starting with getting someone that can unite us, you know, and that, that, that's, it, it's, it's a positive way. We will look at, and, and we're shooting, you've got to bring, there's a lot of things that we can bring Democrats into. Democrats want houses to be affordable. You know, they want to be able to have enough houses, uh, you know, built. Democrats, believe it or not, like water, like Republicans. You know, when we got a water shortage, they may tend to feel a little bit more cozy with a Delta smelt or salmon or something that are endangered. But when you show we can have it all, you know, that it's just we pursue a policy of abundance, not scarcity. If we build these reservoirs here, guess what? We also get really, really efficient, clean hydroelectric energy too. And we lower our carbon numbers, you know, and you don't have to make the, the argument is man causing climate change or not. We don't have to go there. We can beg the point on that. That's fine. But when you pitch to the left that way too, and, and talk about those things and bring people together and just kind of look at them like, what, wait a minute, guys, you, you guys are arguing about that. No. So I don't have to say, you know, the Republicans will sit there and throw darts at, at Gavin Newsom left and right. And I don't even need them doing that because Gavin tends to trip he over his own, own darts quite a bit. Pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> he's throwing them up high and seeing if he can catch them and stuff. You'd almost think he doesn't want to be governor with, with, a, lot of the, with a lot of the things he does. And maybe, maybe his life will be easier if he's not or when he's not, I should say. Yeah, but no, it's, uh, it's going to be really, really interesting. And Right now, I'm working on just getting my name out there more. Um, I want to be in each article when they name the major people running against. I think I'm right there on the edge. Um, you know, and, and that will, it's, this is all going to come together very quickly. Uh, Boomer and my team, we're putting together a real good infrastructure that will, because this is a statewide race. Uh, you know, libertarians have really never run. This is more like a presidential race. But but in one state, I mean, 40 million people is crazy. I I met the governor of a province uh, two Saturdays ago. I was invited down. The Council of Pakistan was uh, inviting the governor of the uh, Punjab province of Pakistan. Now, if you know what that is, that's the largest subnational entity outside of India or China. There's 110 million people in the province, more than the population of Mexico. And, and this guy, you know, when I, when I came up there, they introduced me and I'm sitting next to the sheriff of LA County, Villanueva and, and their county assessor and some other mayors. And stuff. But I was the highest elected in that room. And when they introduced me to bring up a plaque to him and I checked out this governor, he's actually pretty impressive. But um, I go up there and I was introduced as the next governor of California. Not too shabby. That's pretty impressive. And you've got all these Pakistani Americans, very, very influential and stuff. And uh, they don't like Gavin Newsom. Monday night, I met the ambassador, the new ambassador to Turkey, down in San Juan Capistrano. It's the same thing with the Tur Turkish Americans. Although there's something about Turks that I like even more than just about anybody. It turns out a guy comes up, he says, Jeff, Jeff, 
we really love your humor because they'd seen me on some Zoom meeting with a chamber of commerce or a rotary club down in Long Beach or something. And they go, we love your humor. They said, did you realize that Turkey has the most comics per capita of any country? <laughs> I've never so, heard that. Who knew? You know, <laughs> just, but, but, you know, you can't, you can't make everybody happy, but you have to talk to everybody and everything else. And where I think I'm going to do this, when I go ahead and get someone in Central Valley of Hispanic descent, and I talk to them in Spanish, you know, I'm on all this uh, Spanish media and stuff. That's not just getting a vote for me. That's taking away one of the votes that Newsom needs to beat the recall. And that's kind of a two for one. I'm, I'm meeting with ranchers, with media people, with business people in the Latino community. But that's so important. It's a big state. It's a big state. Uh, I'll, I'll go off on a little uh, just... I thought of this today and somebody said, oh, my God, I haven't thought of that. But right now, there's so many conservatives that are so upset with so many people coming in across our borders, you know, the open borders or whatever you call it. Right. A lot of those people, are the same people that have businesses that can't hire anybody. There's nobody to come hire. Yeah. I mean, you see on the restaurants now, even as they're starting to open, every, every restaurant I go to has, has huge help wanted signs. Every single one. Starbucks oh, yeah. too, everywhere. Well, no, and they've, they, they, and they've got it all closed down. Half of it's mm -hmm. closed down. You go, well, you know, the restrictions are lifted. They go, I know, but I can't open that because I don't have enough employees to service that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, so it, 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 it's, it's crazy time right now all the way around. Yeah, well, we certainly need a, a, a more rational, dare I say, more libertarian voice uh, to sort of guide us out of this thing, because uh, what the lockdowns have done to this state, this country, but really this state has had the worst of it, uh, have just have so many ramifications between the, the effects on children, uh, the effects on, on people's psychology, the effects on the economy. And these are ramifications that are going to be felt for a really, really, really long time, no matter what we do. So, so the best we can hope for is hopefully to have someone like you sort of leading the way. Um, so, I, Jeff, I think this is a really important race for not just libertarians in California, but libertarians or anybody that that is in favor of these ideas, whether or not they're official member of the party or not. So I want to encourage everybody listening right. to check out your campaign and get involved in some way, shape or form, even if it's just, you know, l learning a little more about you, uh, because this is something that can really affect the whole nation. I mean, like we always say, like California leads the way both good and bad for how a lot of things go in this country. So uh, it could certainly do that if you're able to break through with this election. So if you could just uh, kind of wrap up here by laying out, if you want to lay out one more time, the case for Jeff Hewitt as governor, and of course, how people can get more involved in this, cam this campaign, whether they're here in California or not. First of all, so I don't forget it right at the end, I'll get in trouble by my campaign manager if I don't say this, but I want you to, you know, our website is Hewitt for either the number or FOR, Hewitt4CA.com. I want you to come on the website. You know, you can become a volunteer. You can donate there. Get active with this campaign. I don't have to tell you. And of course, um, Hewitt for uh, CA on Twitter, uh, Facebook, you know, Instagram, all of those also. But, but here's the deal. I'm doing this because, believe it or not, I care about the people of Riverside County, and I will go to any lengths for them. Should I become governor, and I will become governor, then the people of California, the 40 million people of California will be my constituents. But you know as well as I know that when I win this, as a libertarian with a big L behind my name, it changes everything. I mean, quite literally revolutionary were that, were that to happen. No, it, it will, you will see, you will literally see within the next year after that, a lot of state legislators all over, they'll be switching over because we know how many libertarian, truly libertarian people there are, but they want to affect change and they don't think they can do it. They don't think they can get elected as libertarians. This is a unique opportunity, much like the one that I won this county supervisor seat with. It's actually got a chance where not being a Democrat or Republican might actually be an advantage. And so I'm going to use every advantage I've got. They're throwing everything at me. Look, I've been Kavanaugh more than once. The difference is I don't care. I keep on the mission. I know there's too much at stake. And if we get enough people believing, donating, volunteering, we can change the world. And we want all of us libertarians, I'll have to say it because it's the company motto now, we want to see, we want to be set free in our time, see a world set free in our time. But we also want to see the greatest renaissance that mankind's ever had. 
and we're the party that embraces innovation and innovation is a big part of my campaign. But let's get started doing this. Let, let's, let's really um, look at, I used to call myself a delusionally optimistic person. I'm in a position I would have never thought I could be in. This is winnable. It just takes people getting out there believing. And then after November or whenever the, if it's August or whatever else, when I sit down in that chair in the governor's mansion, then the real work begins. And I told Gary I'd fl- fly him right out so he'd give me Governor 101. Just <laughs> and luckily he can you know, have his edibles and cannabis or whatever he needs uh, in the States. So it's, it's all good. He can have those. <laughs> he can, wait, California is pretty pretty free that way right now. He's got whatever he wants on that level. Well, Jeff, uh, I, I certainly wish you the best of luck here. And it's, it's not going to be luck that wins this thing. It's going to be the hard work of yourself and, and many it's, other it's people out work. there. Uh, but like I said, I mean, like we both agree, this could be absolutely revolutionary. And either way, the work you're doing out there already has been revolutionary because you've already already ascended to levels that most libertarians don't even believe they can ascend to. So you've already done it. You've already shown the groundwork. You've already shown the path of what the, what that pathway is. And now we're just going to take that formula and bring it up to, to, to the next level. So we're definitely going to be watching your campaign. I'm very excited about it. It's, it's going to happen really quick within the next you know six to eight months or so. It's all going to be wrapped up. Less than that, actually. Just, just maybe three or four months, actually. Um, so I, I definitely encourage everybody, now is the time. Don't wait till tomorrow or next week to check out Jeff Hewitt's campaign. This is all happening really fast. And it could be huge. So I definitely want to encourage people to look into that. And I don't, I don't think I even need to encourage you to be out there and keep on roaring. I think you're going to do it yourself. So, Jeff, we look forward to it. And I, I hope I'm one of your first uh, media stops once you're governor of California. Oh, you will that be, night, Mark. I'll, hey, I'll be and the again, I'm going to quit trying to grow your hair. But, but <laughs> I will give you a we'll lock do, of right? my hair when you become governor of California. You can hang it right there in your office. Behind and, and, and hopefully I wasn't a bore. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jeff. Keep up the great all work, right. man. Keep on roaring. Take care. Thank you, Mark. All right, Kitty Cats. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jeff Hewitt, a great guy. I've had the pleasure to meet him a couple of times, so it was great to finally have him on Lions of Liberty proper. And what better time than he is looking to replace the tyrant, Gavin Newsom. I'm very excited about the prospects of this campaign, and it's not very often I get excited about political campaigns. So that should tell you a lot. So please do check out Jeff Hewitt's campaign. Please do check out our brand new sponsor. Again, that is Top Lobster over at toplobster.com. Uh, for some that have asked, it is not Top toplobster.com. You won't find anything there, I don't think, but you need to go to toplobsta, L-O-B-S-T-A, toplobsta.com. Check out the cool, awesome, killer Liberty gear there, there, and do not forget to use discount code ROAR for 10% off your order. And of course, don't forget to check out the rest of my Liberty compatriots over here on Lions of Liberty. It's not just me here every single Monday where I am here doing interviews, doing debates. We'll have a couple coming up soon, a couple interesting ones coming soon, a couple non-Dave Smith debates coming up soon. As much as I know we all love Dave Smith, uh, it's exciting to have a couple debates coming up that actually do not center around him. Uh, So look forward to those. uh, And of course, look forward to the rest of the programming here on Lions of Liberty every Wednesday. You've got Brian McWilliams slapping you upside the head with comedy, culture, liberty, anger, mispronunciations, the whole thing on Electric Liberty Land every Wednesday while John Odie Odermatt wraps things up on Thursdays as he guides you on the quest for finding freedom. Check them all out. Hit that subscribe button. Don't miss a damn thing right here on the greatest Liberty variety show on earth, Lions of Liberty. Until next week, my friends. Live and live free.